Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Connor Whiteley, bringing you with psychology news, articles and other interesting psychology related articles. You where I can find the podcast notes and more interesting psychology related things and you can get your free 8 psychology book box set at connorwhiteley.net. Now let's get on to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 74 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Con Wiley, and today's episode is on five myths about hypnosis. So this episode I think is really interesting because I found the article and I was just like, wow, hypnosis is often really misrepresented in psychology and also in like TV programs and movies. So I thought it'd be really good to clean up myths because I think that psychology myth busting is actually quite fun, quite fun. But I definitely thought after this episode, I too have also learned quite a bit about hypnosis and the truth about it because I believe the myths, like I believe that um, hypnosis is a completely useless and it's often fake but it turns out that it isn't so hopefully you'll really enjoy today's episode so moving on to the psychology news section so moving from the british psychological society research digest and there's some really good articles today so the first one is studies suggest that there is not a sensitive period for developing music skills mozart famously started playing the piano and composing while still a young child but if he hadn't started music practice then would his future achievements have been as impressive is there in other words a sensitive period in which the brain is especially susceptible to musical stimulation and during which a person must start to acquire music skills in order to achieve their full potential as in the case for visual perception or language um, acquisition which as you know there is a critical period like ideally you have you sort of have to learn language before the age of five otherwise it's very hard for you to learn it and there has been a lot of debate about this now a new study of professional musicians and identical and non-identical twins in sweden suggests not so this i think is a really interesting because we know there are critical periods for some behaviors like language and other behaviors but it's always a good to know though that this idea of the critical period is not a hard and fast rule with that applies to all behaviors so this i think is actually quite interesting Okay, so another one is supposed benefits of psychedelic microdosing to mental health may actually reflect a strong placebo response. Now, I've heard of psychedelics, I've sort of never really given them too much thought. So, so an increasingly large body of work suggests that illicit psychoactive drugs can be useful as treatments for certain mental health problems. Studies have found, for instance, that the psychedelic psychobin from magic mushrooms and LSDs can reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression while MDMA may be useful in treating PTSD. There's a different story for a practice known as microdosing, however, this involves taking a small quantity of psychedelic substances normally too little to produce any perceptible effects repeatedly over a period of time, every few days for several weeks, for example. Now, as we reported in 2019, although results from some surveys or poorly controlled trials suggest that microdosing can improve people's mood or certain aspects of cognition, more vigorous placebo control groups have failed to find any such effect. A new study could explain why. The team finds that people who plan on microdosing do go on and experience a boost on well-being and a reduction in anxiety and depression. But the level of improvement depends on how much they expect to improve in, in the first place, suggesting that any results on a well-being may be a result of a strong placebo effect. So this, I think, is actually quite good because if you think about it, psychedelic drugs, the main reason why people do them is to get high, to feel good and to boost their mental health. But I think this just shows that even the fact that we believe in it 
actually has its own benefits. Basically, I think this study is actually quite good though because it really shows the power of the mind, the power of our belief, and this also shows the mind-body link. For example, what we think and feel can actually affect our bodily responses. So I think it's actually quite a good one. So another one is, students enjoy classes more and get better grades if they feel their professor has faith in their abilities to change and improve. This I can definitely agree with. So, as anyone who's ever flunked a test will tell you, doing well at school or university isn't a simple matter of intelligence, ability, or even how hard you've worked. In fact, there are plenty of things that can affect the way we perform, from the way we take notes to how we realise how much sleep we get whilst we're studying. And according to a new study, something else that might have an impact on our educational achievement is our assumption about our professors. If we believe they have faith in our abilities to change and improve, the team suggests we're likely to enjoy classes more as well as achieve higher grades. So a really important tip from this one is that if you're a teacher, if you're yes, basically if you're anything to do with education, even if you don't have faith in your students, like I remember quite a few times where um, some teachers really did not have faith in some of my um, fellow students, which I completely understood. <laughs> Their heart was not in a psychology in the slightest. Just fake it because you never know if you make the students believe that you have faith in them, then they might do better than expected. And of course, that has a longer term benefit. Okay. So we will do one more. Okay, so having hope for the future could protect against risky behaviours. At the start of a new year, it's customary to look forward, imagining what we might want to achieve in the next few months to come. It's what lies at the heart of the new year's resolution. They must be maligned for their persistent failure to stick, but do at least represent a greater degree of hope, of hope for the future, a hope to become fitter or more productive or to learn something new. In the current circumstances, hope is certainly in short supply. But if you can manage to stay hopeful, you might be able to avoid risk-taking behaviour like drinking, taking drugs, gambling, or overeating, and you suggest. The study focuses specifically on relative deprivation, the belief that your lot in life is somehow worse than other people's. Previous research has suggested that those who score highly on feelings of relative deprivation are more likely to engage in maladaptive escape behaviours, including risk-taking. But hope could reduce such a behaviour. The team argues of protecting people from potential harm. So, as always, I always love real-life um, psychology research that you, that you can actually apply to everyday life. <laughs> because sometimes psychology research just doesn't apply to real life. So, where the sort of unofficial tip from this psychology article is that basically just if you're feeling down if you feel like you might be excess drinking overeating or anything or you might be doing some sort of like maladaptive behavior your best bet is most probably just to try and look for forward to the future i don't know about maybe like set yourself a go without just you got something to look forward to and you've got something to work through because that should hopefully protect you from these maladaptive behaviors so i really hope that you enjoy the psychology news section so let's move on to the personal update So moving on to the personal update. So there's not a lot of things that I want to talk about because it's mainly been like psychology based and I just try to record the personal update to, to talk about this personality psychology lecture, which I absolutely loved. It was a great lecture, but I can't remember what it was about. So um, that was a bit embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, but I think that always like, happens though. The reason why I mentioned in the psychology news section about psychology research doesn't always have the most applicable results to everyday life was because 
um, yesterday about like, me and my um, personality psychology coursework partner like we're talking uh, because for our coursework we have to write a research proposal and then like, we were saying right we want to do something that can actually apply to real life because let's face it a lot of, lot of psychology you cannot apply to everyday life so we decided uh, on the project of dark personality traits in law enforcement so I'm really looking forward to researching uh, next week uh, because I think it will be a really interesting topic and then uh, the only other interesting thing uh, that I want to tell you about is I have finished the development psychology third edition book i am really relieved to have it done i loved the book and in the book i actually talked about something that i never talk about i think if you know but like even when people email me yeah but like email me to like talk to me i think i've only ever mentioned it to one person simply because it just sort of like popped up in the email conversation yeah but like conversation so if you want to know a bit a bit more like about me and also like a lot more about psychology definitely check out their mental psychology third edition edition the pre-order should be up next week but i'm actually quite amazed by the book because a it really got me into their mental psychology more like i really enjoyed writing it but i'm quite amazed by the length the length because the second edition is around eighteen thousand words okay so i thought right this update be a few thousand words i'll get it up to like twenty-five thousand words the book actually came in at forty-one thousand five hundred words so I was like, wow, wow, this is a proper non-fiction book, book though. But I'm really glad that it's done and it will be available on a pre-order this week, on the week that you listen to this, hopefully. So please check out that out, probably towards the end of the week. And as always, I always love to know your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can always email me, connorwiley.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at connorwiley.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi-whiteley. And the sponsored product for today's episode is my psychology audiobooks. Now, audiobooks I absolutely love as a audiobook listener, but my psychology audiobooks are narrated by me, meaning that if you like the sound of my voice and you want to hear more of me, then please check out my psychology audiobooks available on all major audiobook retailers and you can get them for free at your local library. And all my audiobooks are on for at least about an hour or two, so that's a lot more listening with me, <laughs> of course, if you would like that. And over time, I will be getting more of my psychology book into audio, but right now, you I can get the majority of the second editions and the first editions. So on your major audiobook retailers, then if you just type in like, Colin Wiley Psychology, then they should all turn up. So that's enough for the personality. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about the five myths about hypnosis. So I really enjoyed this episode because I think it's definitely a great topic because I know there's sort of a mystique around hypnosis and as a therapy in psychology. So I think it's really interesting. But I also know that it gets misrepresented a lot on TV. And of course, because TV gets it wrong and because we sort of believe what TV sort of like tell, um, tells us to, to like varying degrees, we tend to know that hypnosis doesn't work and all of those myths. So hopefully these five myths will have, be really interesting to you and this is definitely a shorter episode but I still really like it and hopefully so will you. So the first one is, hypnosis is a quick fix. 
So it's commonly believed that hypnosis is a quick fix that will solve all your problems or there's another belief that that hypnosis is a completely and utterly useless and that's what I understood. I did not think it worked but the reality is that hypnosis actually has a lot of other benefits like it can help to decrease pain and anxiety or it can help you to reduce um, obesity and it can have other benefits as well like I think smoking's um, another one. So another myth is hypnosis is a standalone intervention and if you watch any CD programs it's always the case that you go for hypnosis, you come out, you're magically cured, you don't need anything else. <laughs> God, nothing works like that. But in reality, hypnosis is always used in addition to other interventions like psychodynamic therapy and cognitive behavioural therapy. So number three is, hypnosis needs to be highly trained for it to work. And this is another one that I understand because hypnosis have always sort of portrayed as magicians, magic people, amazing, simple people that they're just ho- they're just so highly skilled that no one could ever do it except them because, well, none of us are like magicians. But it turns out that all you actually need to be able to do hypnosis is you need to be able to administer the procedures and you need to have basic social <laughs> social skills. And this is important because then the hypnotist needs to be able to establish trust or a rapport with the clients because, come on, if you're going to be under hypnosis, you're going to want to trust them. So another one is hypnotic states resemble sleep. And this is what it always looks like to me when I see someone undergo hypnosis is that it's always like the person is asleep. But the reality is that while some people do fall asleep, people tend to be awake and they have very good self-awareness and awareness of their environment during the hypnotic state. So the last one is hypnosis improves memory. So this actually has to be my favourite because if you've done cognitive psychology, if you've read my cognitive psychology book, then you know memory, because of how it works, this will never happen because of how bad memory can be. It is true to some extent, hypnosis can increase and return memories of recent events to the person, but it can also increase false memories as well. And these are the memories that you remember, but they never actually happen. So, and that is actually one of my favorite cognitive psychology topics. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I definitely found this episode to be quite useful and I didn't know how short this was actually going to be. So, but the article that I pulled this from actually had like 21 myths. So if you go to cottonwhitely.net forward slash podcast, you find episode 74. And then if you scroll down to the references, you'll find the link. And there's some great myths on there that I really recommend it. So as always, Really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Feel free to contact me by email, tweeting me, or leave a comment on the show notes. And if you know someone who would enjoy today's episode, then please tell them about it. I'm always really, really grateful when you wonderful people spread the word about the podcast. So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to see the show notes, then please go to connorwhitely.net. And if you want a free Ada book psychology box set, then please go to connorwhitely.net. Have a great day and I'll see you next time.